there's a difference between peers, mentors, and coaches. And if you listen to the Breaking Into Startups podcast, you'll know that if you reach out to me, Ruben at breakingintostartups.com, I'll make sure that you get connected to all three so that you can make it to the other side when you decide to break into tech. Real friends are very important, which is why I reached out to two of the realest friends of mine, Gary Tan and Alexis Ohanian, co-founders of Initialize Capital. They were introduced to me through Kim I Cutler, so shout out to her. And I also want to show love to two of my other realest friends that you all are very familiar with, Archer and Timur, who are not just my brothers. They're also co-hosts. They're also uh, co-founders of mine that I've known over the last five years. And our relationship goes way deeper than, than a professional level. So as you all are going through this journey, um, choosing the career path that you want to do and figure out what you want to want to pursue in life to achieve your purpose and reach your full potential, I encourage you all to find these real friends, find these real peers, mentors, and coaches. And while you do that, make sure you like the Facebook page, join our community, um, tell your friends about it because um, it's important for you all to, to teach and guide each other, share tips, help each other get unstuck, and give feedback to me again. This is Ruben, R-U-B-E-N at BreakingStars.com. Without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking in Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so it's a Thursday afternoon. It's, it's a nice day out. We always say that the guests don't come to us, we come to them. So today we're sitting at Initialized. And it's a venture capital firm uh, based out of Silicon Valley, which made some pretty big investments. Ruben will tell you about it in a second. We have some of the OGs of the internet in the room with us. And I'll let Ruben introduce the guest. Ruben, can you tell us who we're speaking to with? Yes, sir. We're doing an interview with the mayor. And I'm not talking about the mayor of a city. I'm talking about the mayor of the internet, also known as Alexis Ohanian. For those of you that don't know, he is a co-founder of Reddit, BreadPicked, helped launch Hipmunk was formerly a partner at Y Combinator and most recently started the wildly successful early stage venture capital firm called Initialize, where he and I met for his launch party through Kim R. Cutler. So shout out to her. So this Kim. is Yeah, shout out to Kim. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a, a very special episode because we're also here with Gary Tan, who is also a co-founder of Initialize. Posteris was a partner at Y Combinator where he saw over 700 companies. And for those of you that don't know, he's the first check in Instacart, Coinbase, Dex, and he's going to tell us how it feels to create so many millionaires. So first, welcome. <laughs> Gary welcome, guys. Yeah, Thank welcome guys. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you all for joining us. So, so why don't we start with, with Gary? So how did you and Alexis meet? So Alexis actually interviewed me to get into Y Combinator. Oh, wow. And so I know, all of, you know, very pivotal interviews kind of really changed your life. And that was definitely one for me. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. It was a good... Uh, it was a very smart decision to accept Gary into Y Combinator, and I've been riding his coattails ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like you, you all had a lot of success at Y Combinator. Why step out and do this on your own? Well, we saw what Y Combinator did for a super early stage, and mm -hmm. what we said was actually Seed needs the same kind of revolution. Mm -hmm. And you know, YC kind of is a three month program. You're in, you're out. You're always a part of the alumni network. But mm -hmm. what we realized is. You actually need someone to help you get all the way to your Series A. Yeah. And uh, that sounded like a really important challenge because there are companies not making it because, you know, you hear about uh, startups raising party rounds. Yeah. And then no one's around to actually sort of help them out or yeah. even, you know, call them on things that they need to be doing or, you know, and so what happens with startups when they don't have someone around them is that they kind of just quietly slink off into the bathroom and choke and they just, you know, you just don't hear about them. Yeah. And so we didn't want to let that happen. If we can help people avoid the 10,000 sort of landmines that happen everywhere, that's what we're here for. And that means a few more companies are going to be really successful. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we've seen them as founders. We see them as investors. And 
I don't know. I mean, I've seen, I've watched, I've gotten to watch firsthand as Gary has gone into rooms with founders who were hopeless, who just felt like they had been beaten down because it was week after week after week of problems. And you're looking at that burn rate. You know, an hour later, they're coming out feeling like they can take over the world. Yeah. And I think a great investor can give both that confidence to a founder as well as like specific tactics that they can start taking to get themselves out of it. Yeah. And it's a really, it's just a great time in a company's life to be able to invest and help because you can make a huge, huge yeah. difference. And yeah. both of you have been founders of really big companies as well. So kind of, can you tell us a little bit about the previous companies you guys have ran and how does that role different than what you guys currently do? I want to hear all about Posturus and then <laughs> what it was like being inside of Twitter. Oh, yeah. Well, so part of it with uh, Posturus is that, well, we were starting a social media sort of network in 2008. I used to blog on it. Yeah, totally. I was Thank very sad using. when it got acquired. I though. was pretty sad <laughs> to a certain degree, too. And, you know, frankly, the craziest thing about it was we didn't, I initially didn't think that, you know, 2008 was going to be the time where that was possible. But in hindsight, is always 2020. And actually, in retrospect, that was kind of the ideal time because the iPhone was brand new. You can get your, you know, your phone, your, get your photos off your phone. And email was actually the easiest way to do it. So our main thing that we added to the social media ecosystem at the time was you could send an email to post at posturist.com. And most people said, oh, it can't be done. It's really hard or it's not secure. And we were able to come around and actually just use better technology to show that, oh, all of those things are not true and you can't actually just use email. Um, and that was really powerful for us because you know, at the time, Facebook was brand new, Twitter was brand new. You know, we had this Cambrian evolution sort of explosion actually of social media at that time. And so you know, between the iPhone and social media, it was kind of the perfect time to do what we were doing. Yeah. How did it feel to work at a company that was acquired after you were a startup? Oh, I mean, that was the toughest part. I actually didn't join the, I didn't join Twitter. Oh. And so it was about, you know, maybe nine or 10 months before I had this chance to sort of switch over and become a designer at YC. And I actually wrote about this in TechCrunch around, you know, co-founder conflict. Mm -hmm. We actually grew basically, I mean, 10x every single year for a couple of years. Wow. And then it, it flatlined. And there were a lot of reasons for it. Actually, I never really talked about this, but one of the reasons was actually that the way people were sharing, it was changing so quickly. Email was the ideal way until the apps actually came, actually caught up. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just a moment ago, Alexis, you were using Instagram. And so I distinctly remember one day we got an email from one of our lead investors, Chris Saka, and he mm -hmm. said, Hey, what do you think about this company, Instagram? Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, and this is part of the difficulty of running a company a lot of the difficulty of running it is actually knowing what game you're playing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, where's the brass ring and which brass ring are we going for? What are we fighting for? Mm -hmm. And so one of the brass rings turned out to be how people interface with social media using their phones. And email was merely the first version of it. And that was why that email from Chris was really important in retrospect. I've never brought it up with him since. Yeah. But I think about it all the time. Because that's what great investors do for you. They kind of are always questioning you. Where, you know, are we going after the brass ring? Because at the time, nobody really knew. Like, you know, when you're writing the future, you don't really know, you know, who is my user? Mm -hmm. And what's my main use case? Why am I growing? Mm -hmm. And so these are kind of the, the inflection points where really good investors will ask you the right questions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wish I could say, hey, that changed our life and changed our trajectory. But it didn't. It yeah. bounced right off of us, actually. And that's why we ended up having to get the company acquired. It was yeah. that, you know, the way people were sharing changed. Apps became far better and they became the dominant way to share photos. Mm -hmm. And so one of the major growth vectors, it wasn't the only growth vector, but one of the really big ones started going away and started going over to Instagram. And so yeah. when Instagram actually shipped, I think Chris actually emailed us about it because we were actually one of the check marks. Today in Instagram, you only have Facebook and Twitter. But back then it was Facebook, Twitter, imposterous. Interesting. And so that was one of the really interesting shifts. And so we spend a lot of times with our companies trying to figure out, hey, you know, just because you have years and years of growth, it doesn't mean you're going to win the space. Yeah. And I've seen that firsthand. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, being that is really important yeah. to me. And it's interesting that you brought up these shifts because in tech, 
new technologies, new platforms come out every five years. So there's a lot of people who are trying to break into tech today. And a lot of our listeners are looking at tech and they might feel the imposter syndrome or like they don't have 10 years of experience, but they could use it to their advantage because there's a lot of innovation happening in crypto, for instance. And in that industry, a lot of people who are in that space are, they migrated to that space in the last few years. So you could potentially establish your reputation and yourself as an engineer or on the operation side. Do you have any advice on how to identify those shifts? Because you were able to do it with email and before like the iPhone came out to solve that need. In today's world, what are some of those industries or trends that you're focused on that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, crypto is the craziest space, obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone's paying attention to it because people are making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But what's more interesting to us is actually what are the use cases, right? Mm-hmm. And so the way we look at crypto is the way we look at every company that we fund, mm-hmm. which is can it be better, faster, cheaper? Is it solving a real mm-hmm. problem? Mm-hmm. And so that's the really hard part about where we're at in the crypto cycle today because for a lot of these things, they might not be solving problems. They're, you know, and so there's basically a lot of snake oil out there mm-hmm. and it, it can be really tough to tell. Yeah. But basically, as an individual out there, you have to think of yourself actually as an investor because you are. Yeah. And an You're investor investing has, your time, right? Exactly. Yeah. An yeah. investor has a portfolio so they can say, I'm going to take a bet here, I'm going to take mm-hmm. a bet there. But when you're investing your own time and where you're going to spend your energy and you know do your hard work mm-hmm. in terms of where you work or what projects you work on, yeah, that question is actually 10 times more important. Yeah. Do you yeah, think in terms of the job trajectory, do you think crypto in the next five years will potentially like a lot of the current jobs, a lot of like current top talent in tech will shift over to crypto? Do you think that's a possibility or do you think crypto will kind of remain as a subset of the overall tech bubble? I think that basically it's TBD as far as I can tell. And I think if you talk to a lot of other purely traditional VCs, they'll say, no way, not a chance. And if you talk to pure crypto VCs, they'll say, yes, definitely. And so the reality is we're kind of you know, stuck in the middle. We're, we actually continue to believe in crypto as the most interesting tributary of software eating the world, yeah. right? Because you're taking the super powerful thing that's open source mm-hmm. and, you know, software going out and sort of remaking every business out there in the world. Mm-hmm. And then you're adding this other aspect to it that's decentralized, mm-hmm. that is actually money. And mm-hmm. so for the first time, open source developers could make something that suddenly you know, millions of other people can actively participate in it. And it doesn't have to be a Delaware C Corp. It doesn't have to be a startup. And so, you know, imagine the founder of Linux making Linux, but then also being able to be a billionaire directly off of, uh, you know, that for our audience, can you break down what decentralization means in in the context of, I guess, a new platform or startup? And like, why is decentralization such a, like a big inflection point relative to the previous, like Microsoft, Apple and other big tech companies? Yeah, Absolutely. (laughs) The marketplace example is a solid one. Yeah, absolutely. I guess going back to the better, cheaper, faster aspect of things, Mm -hmm. think about basically the cheapest and or arguably the best marketplace for most things, Craigslist. Mm -hmm. Craigslist has the most liquidity of anything out there. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it is actually still an entity run by, you know, a small group of people. But for all intents and purposes, it kind of acts like it's almost an open source project, right? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the promise that if you look at, Every uh, sort of transaction that people make, there's usually two sides to it. And then there's someone in the middle who's sort of taking a, uh, basically charging rent on everything. Mm -hmm. And so the big crazy idea is what if there wasn't someone there Mm -hmm. and instead a software engineer could sit down and think through a very well-designed system and they could just release it. Mm -hmm. And it was, if it was sufficiently better, cheaper, faster, and you could actually build sort of, you could overcome the chicken or the egg problem and build that liquidity, mm-hmm. well, then you would have sort of much more liquid markets across everything. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, finance, real estate, you know, Uber, Airbnb, like every sort of transaction that frankly tech has already touched through these very, very powerful, mm-hmm. you know, great startups and great companies. But at the end of the day, they all charge rent. And, mm-hmm. you know, a decentralized version of it could possibly be designed by engineers in a way that it is actually still better, cheaper, mm-hmm. faster, and way more dominant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the promise. Yeah. And that's a big if because <laughs> the user experience is so behind, right? Yeah. And you still have to actually overcome the initial liquidity problem. Like yeah. you can't just build it and expect them to come. Yeah. You actually have to go out and get that. 
Yeah. What are some, oh, you were going to say something? Well, just that we talk a lot about it being like still the early 90s of the internet, mm-hmm. right? which I think is helpful because like you can think of the internet we have now as like one timeline. And that timeline happened because the internet grew piecemeal from like one computer to another to many, many, many networks across the internet. It's where we are today where you know we all have powerful computers connected to the internet 24-7 almost all over the world. That infrastructure did not exist when the internet first got started. Yeah. But now that it does, we get to do a second try at building an internet that has this power for decentralization built into mm-hmm. it. And we kind of know how it can work out. So a lot of the stuff that we're looking at is just remixing the way things were done the first time around, better, yeah. cheaper, faster, like Gary said. And the idea of decentralization comes at a really interesting time now. The technology is here. It's sort of on people's minds. At the exact same time, we're getting a lot more tense about the four companies that are very centralized mm-hmm. in tech. Mm-hmm. You know, Amazon, Facebook, Google. I'm forgetting the last one. Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft-ish. Microsoft. Yeah. All right. Fine. Yeah. Throw you in there too. Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> but there is this tremendous centralization that ostensibly makes our life a little better because like, yeah, I can buy everything on Amazon and no matter what, it's going to end up somehow delivered to me within 30 seconds one day, but is making us more and more nervous, mm-hmm. especially our buddy Zuck, who's just down in DC dealing mm-hmm. with this. And from a user standpoint now, we're seeing this bigger, I think there's more momentum than ever around a push towards decentralization. Mm-hmm. Because if I say, look, I work really hard. Actually, Gary works really hard at being a great lift passenger. I am not a great <laughs> lift passenger. But Gary's a five-star lift passenger. Wow. Lizzie over here knows I'm like I'm a three-star. I always make them wait. And I'm sorry to everyone who's ever picked me up in a lift. I'm sorry. I always make you wait. So I'm down to like three stars. I don't know. My, my rating's pretty bad. Four and... It's like that Black Mirror episode. 4.1. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. So, so what we have here is... But let's stick to Gary, who's the, the much better role model. He's got a great rating on Lyft. Right now, Lyft... You know, that rating is centralized to Lyft. Mm -hmm. And it would actually be really good for the rest of the app ecosystem. It'd be really good for Gary if he could take that reputation or if he had, if he owned that reputation, Mm -hmm. because he should. That's your reputation. You Mm -hmm. own it. And so when the next Lyft showed up, he could be like, well, hello, I'm Gary Tan. You might have heard of me from such amazing (laughs) ride shares as Lyft. And I'm a five-star driver. Give this man 20% off a ride. Give him, use software to incentivize the very best people with their great reputations to come use your service. And really the centralized platform is the ones who lose here. But we as a society, we as a world, and then the next generation of entrepreneurs are all winning in the decentralized future. But like Gary said, there's a ton of, ton of ifs. The good news is really talented people from, you know, product backgrounds, business backgrounds, engineering backgrounds are really actually starting to build on these technologies. Yeah. We're going to have a partner at, I think, just about every ETH event in the next like six months, yeah. either judging. Ethereum. Yeah. Because we want to support this ecosystem because we, we keep seeing such great talent actually mm-hmm. building. Yeah. And I have a question for you. So a lot of the listeners, they're thinking about maybe their first job in tech. So for them, do you think it's too early to be doing crypto? Should they kind of take the route of get a job at a traditional startup and then once you have experience, shift over to the crypto space or just go straight and find that Coinbase or find that early stage crypto startup and see how they're building it from the ground up and then learn those skills along the way? It's tough for me because, I mean, we're a little different than either pure VC or pure crypto where I would say... That question is a lot like, what programming language should I learn first? Should I learn Ruby or should I learn Python? Uh And it's like, well, it kind of maybe doesn't matter. What matters more is what you're looking at, what problems are they're trying to solve, and then, you know, kind of go from there. I think that's a more important question. Uh, And then the hard part about crypto, (laughs) the upside is that there's crazy upside, right? It's such a new field and people, teams are getting very, very direct liquidity in a way that nobody's ever seen before. Yeah. But that's also a dub- double-edged sword because people are becoming, you know, multimillionaires off of their tokens yeah. with no vesting and then it's not clear that they'll ever ship. Yeah. And that's sort of the you know, existential threat to crypto broadly yeah. is because and, and, we had this first wave of people who I mean they're on a beach, like half of them are on a beach, they haven't shipped anything. Yeah. With and, their Lambos. Yeah, yeah. With their Lambos on the moon. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are going to find that very unfair. And uh, as an ecosystem, you know, I, I think people haven't even absorbed it yet because it's just happened in particular in the past 18 months. Yeah. And you, you all touched on ecosystems a little bit. 
what role does communities have in the in the crypto shift? And just for the people that don't know, can you explain your impact in the building community? Well, Reddit seems to be exactly. actually where I learned everything. Yeah, there's um, uh, pretty much every major or just every really crypto community started out there. You can find them, of course, Telegram, Discord, other places as well. But um, yeah, we got a front row seat to watching that build up because those communities you know, were the very first. Um, mm-hmm. Those were where the early adopters were. And um, I think it's interesting because we've actually had a few of our investments be guided, let's say, by early traction on Reddit, mm-hmm. uh, Soylent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was another, we were, the, we were the first check into this company. I remember Gary was like, trust me, dude, they're, they were working on some kind of networking hardware. Yeah, it was RF networking hardware for small devices. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then they were really hungry and we're like, screw this networking hardware. We're going to make a powder. I didn't know that. That That's you can right. add water to, to sustain yourself cheaply and efficiently. And I was like, really, Gary? And he was like, yeah, try it. And I was like, mm, this doesn't taste great. But like there was a fervor for this on yeah. Reddit, on r slash Soylent. And it started from a blog post where he basically announced it and, and sort of open sourced the recipe. And there was immediate community traction. And, and like, there's no other... There's another platform on the internet where you can see that groundswell of, of really community support early on. And so Reddit's actually been, been quite helpful for us to just sort of, just to get a sense, because we do, we love investing in early stage companies, often yeah. when the traction is just getting started. So if you have something that you know has an early adopter crowd that's that's already talking about it positively and excited by it, it's a really good sign that you're doing something people, people want. Can you tell us how you selected the initialized team? We got some of the people in the room. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they say the general thinking I like in hiring is to to hire people who make you feel dumb, but don't make you feel dumb and uh, who are who are low ego and high output, really. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, it basically is just like Gary Tan working his network magic, just being like, who are the most awesome people that you've worked with? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the secret, right? Like, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So are Gary, we- like when you think about building a team, like what characteristics do you look in? look at in people and you put it together an amazing team. So like tell, share a little bit about the secret sauce here. At least some of it was kind of going back to why we started Initialize and why we left Y Combinator to work on it. It was that, that we saw that there were things that founders needed pre-product market fit that nobody else was really investing very deeply into. And you know, Alexis and I are both founders ourselves. So these were the things that we found ourselves hiring for. So design, product, engineering, PR, marketing. And the funny thing is one stage later, if you're a series A firm or a series B firm and you're trying to help them with all of those things, well, you probably invested in the wrong company because Mm -hmm. by series A, you need to have product market fit. And so you better have the product and the product team figured out. You better have the engineering and engineering team figured out. Whereas pre-product market fit, when you're just starting off, this is the ideal time to help get those processes right, to help people figure out what they, you know, how to even get the engineers to work with the designers in the right way. You know, on what cycle? Is it weekly? Is it every other week? And so you can actually help teams in a very fundamental way, right? When it's, you know, one or two co-founders starting out, hiring their first team for the first time. And so then we just reach back into the people who we knew were really great. So I brought on Brett Gibson, who's my co-founder for Posterous. Hmm. Vince Chu was actually our VP of Eng. Mm-hmm. Uh, we turned him into an engineer after he finished his PhD in physics at Stanford. Um, <laughs> and then that's helping us now because he's actually even looking at frontier tech for us in biopharma, in you know, hard tech in ways that you know, we couldn't have done that before. Yeah. And so yeah. Kim from the community, like yeah. you can't be in the Bay Area and in tech and at least and not at least know her byline from all of her oh, prolific yeah. writing. But just socially in the community, just was always there and always such a thought leader and working so hard to fix this broken real estate situation here in the Bay. Yeah. And then, I mean, Alda and (laughs) we have a lot of Stanford people, Alda Alda and Eric through Gary's relationships over the years. Yeah. 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 And Alda was general counsel at Founders Fund. Yeah. And uh, Eric actually, you know, he worked for Peter Thiel directly for eight years, nine years, you know, just arguing with him on the you know, hedge fund trading floor, basically. Yeah, yeah. And then Jen Wolf was actually my this is boss good. Our COO. Uh, before I started my company. So That's she wow. gave me my boss. first shot as yeah. a designer. You know, to, to, until then, I had only done pure engineering sort yeah. of product roles. 
And she gave me, you know, from scratch, I'd never really formally trained to be an interaction designer. Yeah. And I spent a year just doing wireframes all day. And that yeah. was really, really fun and really helped me level up my skill set for my startup um, just the next year. That's awesome. And, and something else you all touch on when it comes to hiring and building teams, not just for yourselves, but for your portfolio companies in general, is you take stances on, on immigration and certain policies that you put in place, like paternal uh, leave and things like that. So can you all touch on immigration, paternal leave, hiring in that regard? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and one other thing I'll note too, I mean, we're also like pretty old. We're, we've been in the game for a minute, like 15 years, 13, 14, 15 years. So like, I think advice to someone coming in now would be to really be like, curate the people you spend your time with. I really wish I had valued that more when I was younger. And I wish that I was more, even more I guess picky. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, optimizing for people who are like low ego, high output, and generally make you a better person. Mm-hmm. They're the kind of people when you're around, you feel like you are getting energy, not sort of losing energy, and who also have same values as you. Yeah. And um, that's one that just that seems to those that value overlap seems to just multiply with every year I get older, where yeah. I just I find that aligns and means so much more. And it's hard too, I think, early on especially because you know tech is such a cloistered weird insular community it's hard mm-hmm. to break into it like i get why y'all have this podcast right because mm-hmm. i'm sure there's a lot of people on the periphery being like how the hell every year more and more growth more and more money more and more jobs in this mm-hmm. one sector in the economy seems mm-hmm. like well everything else is going on in the world mm-hmm. tech just keeps growing and the reality is we need more people in this industry mm-hmm. we need more diversity of people in this industry mm-hmm. um, which then brings me in a way to the immigration issue I think a lot of us have been touched in pretty personal ways by it. My mom and mother was an undocumented immigrant for a couple of years. So I can certainly speak about it personally, but like broadly, you know, it's the story of America, right? Mm-hmm. The, the industry, this country, it all gets better through more just hungry people willing to sign up yeah. and, uh, and be a part of this. And uh, look, like my own mom, they don't always do the paperwork. But uh, what's important is that we get people on a path to actually being here, working here and being productive. And the reality is this is where all the growth comes from. This is where, I mean, if we look even in our own portfolio, I actually have to get Kim for the most recent numbers, but like the amount of value created by our portfolio by either immigrants or the children of immigrants, just one generation out Mm -hmm. is easily in the billions. Easily. Right. And that's real. That's job creation, high quality, amazing jobs that are like, (laughs) that are so important for this. Yeah. Across every portfolio, it's 50% yeah. 50% of all founders who have IPO'd in the past five, 10 that's right. years wow. are literally immigrants. And that's yeah. not even including the children of immigrants. And both of us are children of immigrants. Yeah. 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 And this, like, I think the, you know, and without taking a bunch of time to talk about the president, like <laughs> there is definitely a, um, there's a disconnect because I really understand that there is a part of this country that I think surely through just ignorance and just lack of exposure has a really distorted understanding of immigration and of the people who are immigrants who choose to come to this country. And um, we need to do a better job helping tell these stories so that they realize like these aren't people to fear. These are people to embrace. And one of my... I mean, I think it's it's purely a mindset problem ultimately. And so, and it's the hard part is it's actually easy for us to sit here as tech Mm -hmm. people saying, oh, growth mindset over zero sum mindset, because tech itself is very, mm. very fundamentally growth mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, you sit down, a piece of information, I have it, I give it to you, mm-hmm. and I actually have more information, right? Mm-hmm. Not less, yeah. because I know that you have it as well. And that yeah. like kind of percolates across our whole industry. It's like mm-hmm. biggest growth mindset thing that you could possibly be working in. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that extends all the way to immigration. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, you know, yes, you know, there are lots of parts of our world that are very zero sum. And then you know, there is this golden goose that is, you know, what we all, all of us sitting here, we all really believe in it and we really want to help grow it yeah. because that's more wealth. Yeah. That's more value in the world. Yeah. And so at, at the level of immigration, that's so hard because people are having a zero sum mindset yeah. around something that fundamentally is very much about growth. Yeah. And, and you shared something this morning related to the grind. A lot of people being heads down. We talked about insular communities growing 10% every year. How do you balance? I mean, you all had a birthday. How do you instill that into the culture? How do you choose a company that, that embraces that type of thing? What, what qualities should, should people be looking for in that regard? And why did you tweet that out today? Oh, yeah. Well, 
to a certain extent, I felt like I was tweeting about that to myself just mm-hmm. because there's just so much going on. Yeah. <laughs> and so I want to be able to do what I'm doing for the next 10 years, next 20 years, next 30 years. And uh, I know that if I run at a certain pace that is, you know, anaerobic, mm-hmm. it's like un- unsustainable, then, you know, I'm going to be burned out and I'm going to crash. Yeah. And then we've seen founders, like people we really care about, do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's, all, you know, often sort of like the most frustrating tragedy in a way. It's, yeah. Hey, if you had just like dialed it back 10, 15% to what a sustainable marathon pace would have been then you would actually make it to the 10 year overnight success. Right. Mm -hmm. it's like, we can burn ourselves out in a year or two, you know, not sleep, eat very poorly, neglect all our relationships. And then at the end of it, like, you know, if we could have sustained it, we would have made it to success and it takes 10 years. It's not going to take 18 months, not going to take nine months. It's going to take a really, really long time of extremely sustained effort. And the important part that we really worry to really think about is, how do I make it that sustained effort for yeah. a really long time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have to dive Preach. back a little bit. <laughs> do you all have routines? I saw Alexis with the workout gear. We, <laughs> you know, we got to take care of ourselves. I think you, and you mentioned parental leave too, and I became a huge advocate for it. I mean, not only did I, I took it with gusto and I had, I'll never forget actually coming back into, this was at the time, the Reddit office and like dudes, like, like commission driven, like BD sales guys coming up to me, telling me like, yo, man, dude, I'm going to have a kid. I'm so excited. I'm going to take my full parental leave, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. And these are guys on I, I, like, these are the dudes who, again, really commission driven, really hard charging. And they, they saw it as a strong signal that like, look, the boss took his full time. It was a priority. Seems like he's pretty happy with that decision. And, um, you know, I think, and again, we're, we're in a fortunate industry because in this way, tech is a, is actually a really great leader societally because almost all tech startups really are pushing towards more and more parental leave, uh, which I think is important. But the reality is we all struggle with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we do want to be successful and we do want to work and put in the time. And uh, I do want to put an end to hustle porn. Mm-hmm. I've uh, <laughs> trying so yeah, hard to yeah. get that abolished because like it's the... Um, it's like posting an inspirational thing on Instagram at 3am about the hustle is not like, I mean, I get it. Like I understand cause it gets likes and it gets people fired up, but it's not, that's not entrepreneurship. Like yeah. that's not how you build a multi-billion dollar business by, you know, posting on the gram about how much you hustle. Yep. And I worry that it also creates this culture where we're all just trying to, we're already on Instagram, all trying to outdo one another. That's uh-huh. the point of the app. And act, frankly, that's like basically the underlying thing of social media, period. Mm-hmm. It's really actually antisocial in that way. Mm-hmm. And so it deludes us into thinking that we're, we're just, we're basically all just playing the wrong game. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's not about not working hard. Obviously that's a big part of it, but it's about finding that balance and, and not making it the priority to talk about how hard you're working, but to really just be doing it. And I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong again. Guilty is charged with the uh, the uh, Instagram post you're referring to. I um I was also trying to throw my trainer a bone because he was giving me so much <laughs> he's giving me so much shit because uh, he's been putting me through a lot of work and I'm not the easiest guy to work with. So uh, so I was like I'll throw you some Instagram love, Tim. Don't worry. But the bigger point here is like you need to have that balance. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm obviously humbled on a daily basis by the work ethic my wife puts out. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm just fortunate because we don't have to do our job in front of millions of people live. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> True. It's just, I mean, I, you know, I feel that I feel the pressure sometimes and, uh, and it's just, it's, it's good to be able to go to that place and just remember like the perspective. I mean, look, I mean, I got a sister who's an RN yeah. and that's a whole nother kind of work that I would, I would last one week at that hospital. Mm-hmm. One week, <laughs> one week, the shit people say to her, if any of you all watching this are in a hospital and you're an asshole to a nurse, you suck. Yeah. Really like <laughs> the things, I mean, the things that she tells me she hears. Yeah. I would just either snap. I would have just, I would have hurt someone. Yeah. I would have like, it, it is infuriating, but you know, here we are sitting in a beautiful modern office talking about the future of tech and I get to be done with this and go on a laptop and start thinking about, you know, multi-billion dollar businesses from, <laughs> from Gmail. Like yeah. that's, at the end of the day, as much stress, as much as everything as there is, like we're still really blessed to be in this industry. And so, you know, having these perspectives in our lives is, is helpful. And so if, if everyone listening can just do me a favor and like dial back the hustle porn, it's like 20%, I think you'll be better off. Yeah. <laughs> I think the industry as a whole will be better. I mean, we've actually got, I feel like there's like 30 blog posts we got to write for initialized all about like 
founder conflict, like the sort of mental, physical stress of doing a startup. I mean, like I, I've just come, I wrote a, I did recently write a, write a post about this and I've, I've gone from like zero to one. There you go, Peter, on, <laughs> uh, on the, the value of coaching. Yeah. And that was, it was a mind job for me because I'm sitting there, my arrogant self for a decade thinking like, this is dumb. And yet the highest performing, greatest, most objective, uh, greatest people out there, athletes, the idea of having not having a coach, the idea of the Warriors coming out on the court and Kerr not being there seems absurd. Mm-hmm. Seems absurd. Yeah. And yet all these other professions where we have these kind of BS metrics, it's a new thing. It's a different thing. And it's like, no, why shouldn't every professional consider investing in a coach if they really want to be the best? Because yeah. to think you don't need one is pretty damn arrogant. Yeah. To think you don't need one. And the greats in the sports where there's actually someone keeping score and where there's actually a, like a, a level playing field that everyone's on together, like when they need them, I think it's a pretty reasonable thing to say, yeah, we do too. And so I've, I mean, we just, um, we can't talk. Can we talk about that one company that we did the thing in? And they did. <laughs> this motivated an investment actually that we haven't announced yet, but I guess it depends on when the podcast is coming out. You could do it. Well, we'll release it when you want us to release it. Oh, you want to do that? Okay. But you have to do it when we, when we okay. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, talk about Twitch, <laughs> I mean, so I actually you know, found myself needing a coach basically like six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, should have listened to Gary. Actually, I'll take it one step beyond that. I actually found while I was working on my startup, I actually needed a therapist. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. I found that I was working through things about how I was relating to other people at the workplace that, yeah. you know, the, came out of my childhood, came out of my, you know, how my parents treated me or how, you know, a lot of stuff that I had to work through. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, realized that I actually really needed someone to talk to about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it really comes to a head in a super high stress situation in a startup because you're making high stress decisions about things all of the time. And you're actually dealing with conflict all of the time. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't afford a really expensive therapist at the time. And so you know, I met this guy named Cameron Yarbrough. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so Cameron had just, he actually started a company previously in the first boom, sold that. It was a shoe company that was competing against Zappos. Oh wow. And then after that, he said, well, you know, I would really want to help people. So we went through and did, you know, full training to become a therapist. And so that's how I, how I met him. And so he was a student therapist and I was, uh, you know, very broke startup founder. <laughs> and uh, he helped me through so many different things at that time. And then I actually kind of lost touch with him for a couple of years. Fast forward a little bit, he actually came to me and said, hey, I just wanted to thank you because you know those sessions taught me that like my business background is not an impediment. My business background is actually really important because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people in business who are trying to run their businesses who need help in that way, especially around interpersonal skills, around conflict, conflict avoidance, how to, you know, healthily get through that. That's actually the core of every business, the core mm-hmm. of every executive team, yeah. the core of every great company is actually a thousand really great decisions made by a whole team, not just by one person. Yep. And so he realized that. And so he went and created Well Clinic, which is one of the best therapist practices here in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I think they have like, I don't know, a couple hundred five-star reviews on Yelp and mm-hmm. And then I started working with him as an, as an exec coach. And, you know, for, that's actually helped me very fundamentally even put together this team to sort of understand, well, we, we have to make a lot of decisions all of the time. And how do we make, how do we get to that process? How do I process my own emotions around how we make these decisions? And that turned out to be really valuable for me. And then it turned out to be very valuable for, you know, a few dozen YC founders. And so he looked at all of that and said, well, how can I increase my impact out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, a classic therapist or a classic exec coaching firm is really one off. It's really, you know, one-to-one relationships and it's really hard to scale that. And then cost becomes really expensive because, you know, generally CEOs end up paying thousands of dollars a month just mm-hmm. to be able to have someone who has that business background, who has sort of that experience working with executives. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, how do I bring that not just to, you know, the wealthiest or the people who are, you know, mm-hmm. most successful, we could actually make more people be more successful if they have access to this kind of coaching. And so that's what Torch.io is all about, actually. Awesome. Uh, bringing that price point down from like 5000 a month, 3000 a month, down to $500 a month mm-hmm. and using software to do it. And so, yeah. you know, Cameron and I started talking about it and that just, you know, it just clicked for us because we said, this is a clear need. This is a clear problem. We experienced that problem ourselves and 
you know, we yeah. knew that he had already helped me and dozens of other founders within our networks. We said, yeah. you're definitely the right person. Let's help you find a technical co-founder and let's, you know, let's do this. And so they just graduated from Y Combinator and we just led their seed round. Another one. Boom. Another one. Awesome. <laughs> That's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. But what? Oh yeah. I was going to say on top of coaching and mentorship, like uh, within breaking the startups, we find that the people that actually successfully transition into tech, inevitably you're going to, you're going to have multiple mentors, multiple coaches, because it's very hard to do anything completely new by yourself. And I think just the concept of, hey, like I could just go online and take a coding class and then I'll become a software engineer. Like if you fall into that mindset without reaching out and connecting with other people who have done it before, that typically leads you down the wrong hole and you spend like hours coding, but you're not actually getting the right advice, right? So with Breaking the Stars, we stress mentorship and coaching as like one of the most crucial things people need to do because that applies to universally, not just people trying to get jobs, but entrepreneurs and even with ourselves, we always like we have our own like board, uh, mentor, board of directors. Board of directors yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. just wanted yeah. to kind of, and we say never it. code in isolation. So even yeah. if I think one of the things that we believe in is that it's cool to have a mentor who might be like three years uh, older than you, who might have done what you've done or what you want to do. But at the end of the day, you can get mentorship even from someone who is uh, learning how to code alongside with you. Because if they're learning some some new technology and you're learning something else that you guys can already have a lot of value to teach each other. So definitely, if you're listening right now, just go to our community and find someone else who is doing uh, something you want to do. Yeah. And, and similarly, like with the coaches that are or the, the CEOs that are on torch using the coaching services, I probably would bet that they would get value from interacting with each other and sharing problems with each other and building on that. Feature, new feature for yeah. Cameron and the team. <laughs> I want to I wanna underscore one thing you said because it's a little contrarian, but I really, I've started pushing people away from aspiring to have mentors like capital M mentors. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by this is like, like if Gary and I get an email from someone who's just breaking in, who's like, hey, I'd love to have you mentor me. Mm-hmm. The reality is there's actually not a lot that we can do for mm-hmm. them today. Mm-hmm. Just in the same way that if I sent, I sent Elon an email, <laughs> uh, hey man, can you mentor me? Elon be like, the hell? <laughs> and, and the reality is the needs that someone who is just breaking into the industry are going to have, the advice they're going to need to have, the mindset, the mentality, the related, all that stuff is actually far better served by someone who is on their level going through it at the same time yep. or just like a step up. Yeah. And so, and, and I'd even go so far as to say, I actually don't have any heroes who are alive or rather don't have any heroes who are humans, like stick to deities uh, <laughs> or, or just like, just not people because, because uh, everyone is flawed yeah. and, and because I think there are things you can extract. I think mm-hmm. it is a very worthy exercise to look at people who have either come before you or who have made inroads or making inroads currently who you're like, I like this thing, this thing, this thing she does. I don't like these two things, but these are the three things that I want to take and I'm going to learn from and improve upon. Yeah, It's a much better approach than just blindly being like, I'm going to be the next Steve Jobs. Yeah. It's like, actually, <laughs> there's a lot of things he did that were really shitty. Yeah, And and that's okay, like because we're all human, but focusing more on the peers you have in yeah. your area that you can learn from as well as that level up and then just sort of taking the, the sort yeah. of cheat sheet, the crib notes, the best parts that you like, and then actually realizing like, actually, these things he got these things wrong. Yep. And this is where his blind spots were. And here's how I'm going to try to be better yep. is a much, much better approach. Yep. Yep. And I, and I love what you brought up around like people being flooded before getting into like the lightning round and closing out. People tend to compare themselves to a lot of other people. And you all are very acutely aware of media, given that you all have like 30 back blog posts in the backlog. Can you talk about the, the positive role that media can play in people's lives? And the pitfalls that people should avoid when paying attention to the media. Now, social media or media, 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 media. Because like I would say, you know, you touched on diversity a little bit earlier. You know, you've organized things like with Black Panther that help with representation to help yeah. people aspire to go in this direction. Like how can people think about the media that are, you know, that's why we started the podcast, too, is because mm-hmm. people outside of tech don't read tech news. So like what are your thoughts on just media in general, uh, positive, negative? Yeah, well. It's interesting because the line I asked, you know, social media or media media, and the line is blurring more and more every day. And eventually we won't even really talk about a difference. But I think we have an advantage and we have a responsibility to try to get these stories out and to try to bring more people in. 
Mm-hmm. And I definitely have an unfair advantage um, with an amazing wife that like, yeah, we can have an initialized event. The thing you're referring to was um, I just rented out a theater for, we had the initialized team and their families and plus ones and whatnot, but we're only like a dozen or so people. So we have a lot of room in the theater. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, Hey wifey, what do you think we can do to fill up these seats? And uh, I've been on the board of advisors for Black Girls Code for a, a minute. And uh, Kimberly's amazing, mm-hmm. by the way. Shout out to Kimberly. Um, shout out to Kimberly Bryant. She's great. Um, I first met her actually at a hackathon I organized in Brooklyn six years ago, five years ago. It was a minute ago. Um, it was great. It was a lot of fun. And um, anyway, great organization. And my wife was like, hey, let's have these girls come. And then don't tell them that I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I was like, oh, we can surprise them and I'll get it on video. <laughs> and then in the back of my head, though, I was like, I really hope they're excited. Is it'll, is there, I mean, it's a room full of uh, teenagers and I hope they're not just like, whatever, yeah. lame. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, all these young women were really excited and, uh, and I got to watch this movie with a real life superhero. But like in telling that story or rather in, in having that video from Serena's snap or her Instagram, whatever it was go viral, it was also telling the story of Black Girls Code. And I didn't even, I went into Black Panther knowing I mean, I was very, there's an old tweet, which I'm very proud of, in which I said it was going to break every record for every superhero movie, which actually <laughs> aged one of the few tweets that aged really, really well. But that, that I didn't realize that there would be this like quintessential, like the smart, basically like the smartest character in Marvel universe now is this teenager, this young woman who's in Wakanda, uh-huh. who's like the super engineer. And like, it could not have been more perfect to have been there with Black Girls Code. Yeah. But this is, you know, this is our charge. This is this is something that is going to be imperative because if we think there is a a gap in this country, if we think that there is, uh, because there is, that wealth gap, that gap is going to grow exponentially and it will grow for the people who have access to this technology and the means to make the most of it. And I mean, Gary's story is like the best of tech, right? Like, I mean, your story is like how technology was able to like really level up your life. Thanks, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I definitely agree that it's all about access. And I think we're lucky that in this day and age, it's becoming more accessible information online and how people can break into tech. So definitely people take advantage of that. Uh, With that said, we're going to do the lightning round. And this is the part of the podcast where we'll ask you several questions, but we're looking for hands-on advice, tactics, any strategies that you've used to get to where you are today. So with that said, Arthur, take yeah. Right. So we know you guys are both like big Twitter users. So if you could send out a tweet and it could be seen by everyone in the world, what would it be? It's gonna be okay. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say buy Ethereum. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. Just buy, buy Ethereum. Ethereum. Well, as long as you on Ethereum. <laughs> or learn to code. Or um, my one right now is lives remaining zero. Got mm-hmm. it. Got it. That's a good one. Gamer. Hardcore. <laughs> this question comes from an organization called Free Intelligent Conversations, and it's what is something someone said that forever changed your way of thinking? I guess uh, I used to do a lot of interviews for YC, and we'd sit across from teams, and um, I would always expect people to sort of really have something figured out, and you know, they would often sort of complain like, "Oh, it's such a short amount of time. I, you know, don't know how to say it," and then. <laughs> It's going to sound funny, but I guess Paul Graham at some point told, looked at me and said, well, if they can't explain it to you and you can't understand it, then maybe they don't understand it themselves. And it's like, dang, that's harsh, but fair, basically. That, I mean, that's valuable to me because when I find myself st- struggling with words, it's like, I should just shut up. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just like, stop, let me think about it a little bit more and I'll get back to you. That's really good. Yeah. I can't stop that. <laughs> um, so the last one, it's about, um, I guess, giving advice to the people uh, who are outside of tech. But what is the one thing that you think people outside of tech don't realize about tech? Maybe from your family, your, mm. the people that you interact with. That there's, there are actually, there are one of the best ways to get into tech is by making things, by doing things. Mm-hmm. There is... I mean, really, I mean, learning to code really is like the new literacy and I regret only being a very, very mediocre programmer. But the irony is this amazing skill, this life-changing ability is actually one of the most freely available. As long as you have an internet connection and time, like you can actually self-teach to a certain extent to get a foundation. And it's like, if uh, at the dawn of the printing press, like literacy had been so accessible 
maybe things would have turned out or could have turned out at least a little differently because for a very long time, knowledge was pretty hoarded by the people who could actually read it and produce it. And we have a new kind of literacy now that has way bigger potential on what it can do for the world and for yourself. And, and I would just encourage, like, I would encourage folks to take that time to find the offline communities where they live because there are people late night after work who are getting together to just talk about building apps or to talk about Ethereum or talk whatever. And while it can be really daunting and while you can open up Instagram and see a thousand people posting their hustle porn, like the reality is you putting in that time is what's actually making the difference. Yeah. And, and it, it turns out actually none of us have it all figured out. So don't feel like you not really knowing where it's going uh, should stop you because yeah. we didn't, we didn't know what the fuck we we're doing. We started Reddit. We barely know what we're doing now with initialized, but <laughs> everyone's kind of faking it. You just build on your experiences and just keep, keep working. Yeah. For me, uh, the number one thing that I wish someone told like, someone, like if I could time travel back to when I was 15, 16, playing around with computers, number one thing I would tell them, tell him is like, keep doing what you're doing. Like you just like, you just found the winning lottery ticket by accident just because you're a nerd and you love computers <laughs> like in 95, 96. But the number one thing that would have changed my life if I had heard it back then, I'm going to tell you now, which is don't settle for selling your own time. Like I loved mm. building stuff and I loved coding, but I never really tried to make a product for myself. And I never tried to make a business for myself. I was happy consulting. You know, my first job, I made web pages for seven bucks an hour. When I made it to $20 an hour, I was pretty happy. When I was getting paid $150 an hour, I was really happy. But what someone should have told me, and I would tell myself today is, hey, you know, that $100 an hour, that's great. You're only 18. That's awesome. But go find leverage, right? Go make a product for other people. Go solve a real problem and go you can go and sell that product and you know rather than sell your time of which you only have a very very limited amount of time on this earth yep. you can create a product that goes solves a lot of other people's problems and then that product will just sell and so yep. you you only have to put a fixed amount of time into that product and have that pay back to you some multiple some crazy multiple and yeah. that's that pr principle is like basically what dr drives key. all of tech yeah. and so make don't just code don't just be into the tech. It's also make products that solve people's problems and like try to find ways so that that will like, that will multiply your time instead of selling like one X your time, one hour, one hour, one hour. Yeah. 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 And, and speaking of that time, thank you for yours. We're out of it. Uh, we appreciate you all for spending time with us. What's the best way to keep in touch? Get out. Well, you got to get on initialize.com, sign up for the newsletter and then follow us on Twitter. There it is. And what are your Instagram handles? at Gary Tan. Two R's. G A R R Y. Hey. G A R R Y. Tan. Tan. T A N. There. Yes. Alexis Ohanian. Google it. That's a lot here. of letters. Let's break <laughs> in. All right. Let's break in. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.